Please take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the prophet Micah. Um, we are in Micah chapter 5. Um, and we will be verses 1 through 5 today. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's page 1445, 1445. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, and was calling um, the nation of Israel to repent for their idolatry and for their sin. Um, but as we'll see, God does not only promise judgment, but he also promises deliverance through the prophets. And so please follow along as we read Micah, beginning Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans or tribes of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, oftentimes we feel the turmoil and strife of living in this world, and we desperately long for peace. Remind us, O Lord, that Jesus is our peace, and lead us to peace as we study these words today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The man that God called to be prophets to his people had one job, and that was to call God's people to repentance. We see in the first five books of the Bible that he had given them his law, his rules for living, and, and he gave them stipulations that if they kept the law, they would be rewarded with prosperity and life in the land, if they broke the law, they would find themselves punished through poverty and through loss of the land by military conquest. And so as the Israelites lived, if we look at the history of the kings of Israel through the books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, we see a progression in both the northern and the southern kingdom of wicked kings and wicked people. And God repeatedly sent to them prophets to call them to repentance, to warn them of God's promised judgment, and to lead them back to obedience to God and to his law. And Micah was no different. He had been called by God to go to the southern kingdom, to the, the tribes of Judah, and to remind them that they were to obey God and him alone. They were not to chase after the idols of the world, they were to chase after and to worship God. They were to live their life according to God's law so that he would bless them and so that he would make them prosperous in the land. And much of the book of Micah is a call for repentance with warnings of judgment. Israel is put on trial and they are warned that if they keep on their current track, they will be found guilty and God promises judgment. And we see that judgment in verses 1 and verse 3 of chapter 5 today. 
Verse 1 calls the people of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, to, to gather its troops together and that a siege was going to be laid against it. And those who would lay siege to the city of Jerusalem would ultimately strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. The rod was a, was a tool, a club used for discipline. And being struck on the cheek was a sign of utter humiliation. There's a warning here that if they do not repent, if they do not respond, that God will judge them by deposing the king, by humiliating the king and having another nation come in and defeat the city of Jerusalem. In verse three, he says, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. There's a promise there that that God will remove his presence from Israel until the time when her travails, when her punishment is over. There's a double meaning there as as it says until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. It, It looks forward to a person we're going to talk about here in a few moments, the coming Messiah. But it also likens the the, the travails, the, the sufferings of the people of Israel. It likens them to the to the to the labor pains and to the travails of giving birth. John picks up that imagery actually in Revelation chapter 12 when he looks at the entire history of God's people. And he shows that much of the suffering, much of the travails that come upon God's people come through the attacks of the great dragon, the evil one. And so Micah, being used by God, promises judgment upon the nation of Israel for their sins. But God never allows his prophets to leave the nation of Israel with just judgment. He always promises redemption. He always promises restoration. He always gives them hope. And so in our passage today, what we will mainly look at is is Micah teaches on the promised restoration that God has given. And that restoration will come in a person. So today we will answer the questions, who is coming? Where will he come from? And what will he do? In the fourth line of verse 2, we see Micah's answer to the question, who is coming to the rescue and restoration of God's people? He said, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. Micah echoes here the words of Isaiah where Isaiah promised that that even though the stump, the, the tree that was the line of David, the line of Jesse, even though it had been cut down, even though it had been turned into nothing more than a stump that was waiting to be ground, that God would protect that stump, that God would band iron around it so that nobody could destroy it because there would come a time when a shoot would come from this stump. The the stump wasn't dead. The line of David was not destroyed. That there would be one who would come to rule the people of Israel who would be a ruler over them. And so Micah echoes that by, by reminding Israel, it says, look, your king's going to be humiliated. Your king is going to be deposed. And it's going to seem like David's line that God promised to keep forever. It's going to seem as though David's line has died out. And yet that ruler will come. But we, we get a, a, a greater picture here of, of who this ruler will be. What will he look at like? What will we expect him to be and to do when he gets here. And 
In the rest of verse 2, he says that the, this ruler will have his origins are from old or from ancient times. That last line there, verse 2, that says from ancient times could also be translated from eternity past. This king is one, this ruler that is coming will be one who is older than time itself. John in his gospel in John 1 1 says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Micah foreshadows that here in his prophecy today that this coming ruler would be God himself. He shows this even in even greater detail in verse four as he describes how this ruler will shepherd his flock. The shepherd will will do his work in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. Micah is in effect telling his people that one day a ruler will come who is from from eternity past. He has existed. He will have the strength of the Lord and he will have the glory of the Lord. Who has existed from eternity past? Who carries upon him the strength of the Lord? Who carries upon himself the majesty and the glory of the Lord our God? God himself. We look forward to the ministry of Ezekiel. Ezekiel says in, in chapter 34, he said, God says through Ezekiel, I have set up my, my shepherds over my people and my shepherds have fed upon the sheep instead of feeding them. They have abused the sheep instead of healing them. They, they have, have twisted their role to make it a, 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 a place of power, a place of abuse and manipulation. And God says, I will remove my shepherds from my people and I myself will shepherd them. Micah reminds the people here that they ultimately, even though they have a king, they're ultimately responsible to God, who is the, the one true king that even their king should serve. And when all seems lost, when all seems dark, that God himself will come to shepherd and to rule. God has promised a restoration for the Israelites from sin and idolatry, and he promised that he himself would come to bring that rescue, to bring that restoration. To be restored to God, we need a righteousness that is not our own. And so God promises to come himself to provide a righteousness for his people. So who is coming to bring the rescue and restoration that the Israelites hoped for? God himself. So Micah answers the question, who is coming for us? And then he also tells us where this ruler will come from. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem is a small town. Bethlehem Ephrathah is a small town about five miles outside of Jerusalem. Now he adds the, the, the qualifier there, Ephrathah, on the end. It's kind of like, you know, it'd be like saying he comes from Lewisburg in Greenbrier County rather than the one in Tennessee. There was another Bethlehem in Israel. And so he, he qualifies which Bethlehem this ruler will come from by giving the, the region or the county, if you will, where this Bethlehem is. But there's 
And he makes a point about Bethlehem here as well. He says, though you are small among the clans of Judah. We know from the history of the area at the time, Bethlehem would have been a a very much overlooked community. Almost like people say Lewisburg or Ronsevert when they mean fairly. We know from Joshua, as Joshua was listing the names of cities that would belong to the tribe of Judah, that Bethlehem is not listed. We know from Jesus' time and the history there that it was a very small, very rural community that people often overlooked. It was small. It was insignificant. It was lowly among the clans of Judah. In fact, its only claim to fame in the Old Testament was that it was the birthplace of David. We would expect the coming ruler who who hails from the line of David and is God himself, we would expect that ruler to come from the centers of power within the nation of Israel. We would expect him to arrive in glory and majesty right there in the throne room. And yet he's going to come from some backwater town that is known for nothing except a dead king from several thousand years ago. Or 8,000 years ago, excuse me. Even David came from this humble beginning and he himself was humble when he came from Bethlehem. This king will come in a lowly state. In a state that would be unexpected for one who was going to be a king in the line of David. Where do you often look for rescue and restoration? Do we look to the bright and the braggadocious? Or do we look to the unassuming and the unexpected? Do we seek teaching from the rich and the powerful or from the poor and the frail? The expected ruler of Israel would come from the humble town of Bethlehem. He would not come in power and in might, but in humility. He would not be attended by royalty, but by shepherds. Who is coming? Micah says God himself. And where is he coming from? From humble beginnings. The third question we ask is what will he do? And Micah gives us two answers to this question. The first is that this ruler will stand up to shepherd Israel in the might and majesty of God. In an agricultural society, the shepherd, although often looked down upon, was a very important person. The shepherd saw, excuse me, the shepherd saw to the health and well-being of the sheep. The shepherd provided food, clothing, and sacrifices for the people of God. The shepherd would provide protection for the sheep in the dark and dangerous valleys. The shepherd would lead the sheep to places of food and water. The shepherd would treat and heal the wounds of the sheep. And the shepherd would make sure the people, the sheep, were safe. As we mentioned already, God had provided shepherds for the nation of Israel and they had done nothing but abuse and manipulate the people of Israel, the sheep under their care. And so God says, I myself will be their shepherd. And the result of God's shepherding of his people is that they would rest secure because of his greatness would extend to the ends of the earth. We do have such a great and loving shepherd that we need not fear any harm that may come our way. Do you find yourself in the darkness of deathly valleys? Know that the shepherd holds you secure. 
So the shepherd, first off, what he will do is he will shepherd. And secondly, he will be the peace of God's people. We often think of peace in terms of of the opposite of war, the lack of conflict. And that's what that is part of what peace is, but it really is so much more. When we talk about peace in the Bible, we talk about being in a state of favorable circumstances, a, a state of completeness, being free from danger. Peace is being in a state of wholeness or well-being. Peace is a sense of harmony with self and with others. And peace is a result of covenant fulfillment. Originally, the word peace described two parties who had gone into agreement with each other and that agreement had been fulfilled. If you take out a loan, there's an obligation on both parties. One party is obligated to to pay off the loan while the other party is obligated to receive payments according to the terms stipulated. However, once the loan is paid off, the obligations are done away with and the two parties are in a state of peace. You know that feeling when you get when you finally get the deed at the end of the mortgage or the title to the car at the end of the series of car payments? That that weight is gone from those payments that 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 obligation to the bank is done and over with. That was the beginning of what it meant to be at peace with other people. There is a covenant between God and humanity. God has created us and because he has created us, we are obligated to give him obedience and honor. And he has obligated himself to reward our obedience and honor with life. But we have willfully abandoned our obligations. Humans, you and I, we seek to obey our sense of right and wrong while promoting our glory and honor rather than God's. We owe the eternal, infinite God a debt of obedience and honor that we cannot give. And this coming ruler will be our peace. He will not merely make peace available. He himself will be the peace between us and God. Where we owe God obedience and yet don't give it to him, he will be our obedience. Where we owe God honor and glory and yet we don't give it to him. He will be our honor and glory. We know from the New Testament that Jesus came to be that peace. He has, been ta- he has taken the obligation of those who are called by God upon himself so that we can be at peace with God. He didn't just secure your peace. He is your peace. When you feel at odds with God, Jesus is your peace. Jesus is the reason that we have the hope of resolved conflict with God. I was was so struck by this. The idea of a lack of conflict. Couple that with God. Yes, we are redeemed. Yes, you are at peace with God. And yet sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? Feels like we're still at war with him because that sinful nature within us still desires to do our own thing to to obey our own law rather than God's, to give ourselves glory and honor rather than God. Jesus is the peace now and the promise of fulfilled and fully felt 
peace with God. There will come a time, brothers and sisters, where Jesus will show us that through him, we no longer have to feel at war with God, at war with ourselves or at war with others. Jesus is your peace. So who is coming to offer restoration and rescue? God himself. Where will he come from? From humble beginnings. From a place of lowliness. And what will he do? He will shepherd us and he will be our peace. Advent is a time of preparation. During Advent, we are, you, you are reminded that you are called to prepare yourself for the coming hope of salvation that brings peace and joy to the people of God. As you are tempted to feel the conflict of Christmas, know that Jesus is your peace. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that you came yourself, that you came in a humble state, to be our peace. Help us to be people that live in the comfort of that peace and help us to be people that proclaim that peace to people around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go this week, take this blessing upon you. The love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.